oftentimes um, you're, you're not going to have cash, you know, just coming out your ears because we have a lot of people that are coming to our church that are college students that are young families, and those people are still getting established in life. The third way, though, that um, at least if you were like Heather and I, is that we were young, we were broke, and we had a lot of kids. Um, by the time that we had been married for four years, which is about the age of, you know, the vision of Matthias Slot, we already had two kids on our way to three, and now we have four kids, and they are an amazing, amazing blessing to our life. But if you look around in this room tonight, and you look at uh, the group of people that are gathered here, one thing that you will notice certainly, unless um, you're, you're wearing bifocals and you're having a difficult time seeing, is that there are children all over the place here. God has blessed us with tons and tons of children. We consider that a great honor and a great blessing that God would allow us to have so many children in our midst that we would be able to shepherd and that we would be able to live life with. And part of the way that we want to celebrate being able to have children in this body and in this church is by doing a baby dedication. And I want to tell you as we get started in this baby dedication, why we we dedicate the children that we have um, before the Lord and before our church. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet a woman named Hannah. And Hannah has been desperately seeking to have a child. And so she comes before the Lord daily and she prays, God, would you bless me with a child? And in one of her prayers in verse 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah prays this, And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever ever be used on his head. Now there's a few things that are similar in the way that we dedicate children at Matthias and Hannah's prayer here. And the first is that we recognize that all children that are brought to this community of believers are a blessing from the Lord. No matter what we do in our world in terms of modern medicine and in terms of trying to, to plan um, the, the time and the pace that we'll have children, because let me tell you, the plan did not work for us. We just kept having them and having them. Children are a blessing from God. God is the one that gives us children, and Hannah recognizes this as well. And the second thing is this. When we do have children, we recognize that they don't belong to us. Hannah realizes here that if she has a child she will give that child to the Lord. And that she does. She not only dedicates this child here now, but then once the child is weaned, she takes that child to the temple. And, um, and he grows up there in the temple. Now, one thing that I'm going to encourage you not to do when your children become two, please don't drop them off here at the church. Okay, that, trust me. You don't want Mark and I to be the ones that are raising your child, okay? That would be bad, right? But we consider it a great honor and a blessing to be able to dedicate children. And once parents give their children to the Lord, we understand that it is their biblical duty and responsibility from the moment they wake until the time that they go to bed to lead them toward the throne of God in love, in discipline, and in instruction. And so we are challenging the parents here at Matthias Lot to constantly do that. So without any further ado, I want to bring forward some of the parents of the children and the children that we are going to be dedicating today. And the first one is Evan Andrew Marks and uh, his parents, Andrew and Melissa Marks. Give it up for them.
I've had the blessing of getting to be in a lot family with Andrew and Melissa and Elise and Evan, and I can tell you right now that these two parents love the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind, and I believe that it is their great desire to bring Evan before us today and say that he truly indeed belongs to the Lord. And what we've done today is I've given the parents an opportunity to give me a scripture that they would like to have shared over their child And then together we were going to pray that prayer over their child as well. And so the passage that Andrew and Melissa had picked was Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Check out what this verse says. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So as the Gospel of Matthew says, Andrew and Melissa desire for Evan to be a light in the world. And so they stand here before you today publicly saying that they desire that of their son Evan, but not only that, but that they desire you as a church body to love them and to love their son in such a way that that vision in their life for their child would reach that end. So may we love this family. May we hold them accountable. May we be a good testimony of what it means to be in fellowship and in love with one another. So let's pray that. And body, I would just ask you to do this with me. However you would like to do it, if you want to put your hand forward, if you just want to bow your head and pray, but let's pray over Evan as we dedicate him to the Lord today. Father God, we thank you so much for Evan. God, I thank you for the blessing that he is to our church body already, God. And as his parents have already stated, through the power of your word, God, that they desire this little boy to be a light unto the world. So God, we ask in your great sovereign grace and power that first you would save him. God, that you would redeem him from his depravity and from the pit of hell, God, and that you would do a mighty, mighty work in his life, God, to lead him to salvation and through faith by obedience lead him to good works so that he may be a light into the world for your name and for your name's sake. We love you, God, and we thank you for Evan. God, help us to be a testimony of Christ to this little boy. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Andrew and Melissa, we have a certificate for you guys, for Evan. And uh, we also have a Bible. And with this Bible, we want to encourage you to daily lead Evan and lead Elise in worship. Every opportunity that you have to be a reflection of Christ to them. Thank you guys so much. Let's give it up for the Marks. Next family that we have is Kyle and uh, Brittany Funk. And with us we have London Jolie Funk, which clearly has to be one of the coolest names in the world. If London Jolie wasn't cool enough, you get to have the last name of Funk, which is just awesome. And then we have uh, Camden, or also known as Cam Dog, uh, here with them as well. And the passage that Kyle and Brittany have picked for London that they wanted to have shared over her is this, and and follow this with me because this is beautiful. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesians, this is what he says. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the, the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love 
of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so today, Colin, Brittany, we, we challenge you that this passage that you have given us may it not just be a cool passage on a cool day where we've gotten to dedicate London, but may you truly live that. Kyle, as you have the opportunity to shepherd London and shepherd Cannon as being the spiritual leader of your home, and Brittany, as you have the opportunity to be a godly mother and a godly woman for this little girl so that she can see the example in you daily and know how to live a life that is supportive to her husband and loves Christ. Yes, amen. So join with me. Church, and may we never forget these words that these parents have said that how they desire for this little girl to grow up in our presence and in her home. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful daughter of you. God, while her physical parents stand here with me, God, you are truly her father. You have created her. You knitted her together in her mother's womb. God, you know every hair that exists on her head. God, you even know the personality that is going to develop from this beautiful little girl. And God, we pray right now that she would know how deep, how high, and how wide your sovereign love is that is expressed most vividly through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would call this little girl to yourself, God, that you would do the work of redemption in her life, and God, you would indeed save her by your power. God, I pray that you would help Kyle and Brittany to be parents that are full of love, that are full of grace, and that are also full of discipline in the times that it's needed. God, so that she can know you and know your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we have a Can we have a Bible for you guys and uh, also have a certificate of dedication? Thank you guys so much. One more family that we get the blessing of um, being with today is Jason and Jen Serino. And we have Colin Reese Serino and Maximilian Pierce Serino. Man, I want to go back and like rename my kids after here these days. This is awesome. But uh, I had the the blessing and the opportunity of getting to serve with Jason and Jen in ministry before we planned in Matthias Lot. I was a youth pastor, and Jason was our worship leader of our youth ministry, and then later on of our church, and Jen served very faithfully with many of the girls in our ministry. And so not only do I say just from knowing them in my time that they've been here at Matthias, but knowing them on a uh, longer-term level, that these two truly have a heart for the Lord. They love Jesus, they love his church, and undoubtedly they love their children. And the reason that they stand here together today is because they want you to know that they believe that these children are a blessing from the Lord, that God has given them to to, to them, and not only that, but now they want to have a sign of them giving their children to the Lord for his good and for his purposes. And so the passage that Jason and Jen sent me to be able to be read over their boys is this. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 16, the doctor writes, People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me 
and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So in this opportunity that we have to pray, I'm first going to pray for Maximilian here. Hopefully he's going to let me pray for him. What an amazing little boy. What a blessing and an opportunity it is to be able to stand here with his parents and to be able to realize that he's a gift from God and he belongs to God. Let's pray for him. God, I ask you for Maximilian, God, that you would remove all hindrances from this little boy knowing Jesus. God, that um, as he grows up and as he matures, Father, not only would he seek you, but God, you would seek him. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would just help Jason and Jen in a mighty way to be the picture in their marriage and in their home of what it means to be a Christ follower. God, so Maximilian can have an example of what it means to be a Christian. God, we pray, Father, that you would just help this little boy to grow strong, protect him as he ages, and God, help us as a church to know what it looks like to be a good brother and a good sister to this wonderful child. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think every parent should get their children a microphone to wear on their head because it really seems like they enjoy that. Now we have Colin. (laughs) And again, what a blessing to, to have twins. And for us, I think that that doubles our responsibility to Jason and Jen to love them and to support them as they seek to raise up their children to know the Lord. Hi. Like, who is this scary guy? Let's pray for Colin together. God, we thank you so much for the birth of this young man who will grow up, God, to one day know you and to serve you. God, we pray that all hindrances would be removed from his life. God, that as he matures and as he grows, that you would put the right people in his life that would be an example of love and of truth. God, we pray that as he grows, that he would truly understands what it means to follow the greatest commandment, to love God and to love people. We pray for Jason and Jen that they would be a picture of that in their home. God, that they would love others and that they would love you more than they love themselves. God, I pray for the salvation of this little boy, God, that you would do a work, that you would redeem his heart, and that you would help him to know you and to follow you all the days of his life. God, he's yours. We give him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a blessing it is to be a part of the lives of new children that are coming in to this community. Today, not only do we want to celebrate with parents who have had children, but we also want to recognize a family in our church who has not had children. So watch this video with us. It was uh, July 2005 when Todd and I decided we would start our family. We thought we had reached financial stability 
we're at a place in our life that we were ready to start this new journey together. You know, I had this three-year plan that uh, how you know we were going to you know wait three years, experience things, and and uh, and then we were going to have start to have a family. You know, those three years went by, and uh, and we started trying to have a family, and and it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Time would go by more and more. This wouldn't happen, and uh, you know we would pray, God, you know, please bless us with a child. You know, we didn't know why, uh, but we just kept on praying, and just oh, it was just a matter of time, and it, it just wouldn't happen. We've been to seven different infertility doctors, not one of which have ever said we know what's wrong, we can fix this problem. We just pray over and over again, bless us with the child, God, please. This whole time we just prayed that, Lord, just please give us a child. Uh, please answer our prayers. And we didn't understand why he was <laughs> not doing it, <laughs> why he was making us wait so long. And so we're like, well, maybe we should uh, try adopting. And uh, so we uh, pursued that and um, went down that path and uh, and God closed that door on us. January 2008 we found out that Vietnam was going to be closing adoptions to the United States and we were crushed. We thought this was something that would happen for sure. I remember being in, uh, in church and hearing the passage that really just penetrated my heart that was out of First uh, Thessalonians. Be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will in Jesus Christ. I didn't want to waste this struggle I was experiencing, this infertility. I knew that it could be used for God's glory and I wanted to do so. I, I felt so challenged by God to use my struggle to help other women who had been experiencing problems in the same area and to be an encouragement and for people who don't know God to see that in the midst of this pain that there was still joy in the Lord and um, we prayed continuously. My prayers aren't being answered so then I get discouraged and then I look back and it says pray continuously get discouraged with my circumstances. Why, why, why? It says, be thankful for all circumstances. And then the last part, it, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't understand His will, but I know that that is His will and that He will use my situation and Lindsay's situation. He will use our situation to glorify Him because it's His will. So after almost seven years of marriage and uh, four years of being on this journey, um, we're happy to say that, uh, that we are pregnant. It, it doesn't matter what amount of medical advice we, we were seeking for um, 
the tips or the, anything else. It was all about praying and um, just waiting on God uh, for His will to be done in our lives. So God, we celebrate what you have done. We celebrate the journey of four years of suffering that you taught Todd and Lindsay so much about yourself. And we celebrate now, God, a couple of young children that are growing in Lindsay. And we pray for those children. We begin to ask already, God, that you will save them and draw them to yourself, God. Right now, we just say, you are holy, you are good. Children or no children, Father, but we're thankful for the way that you have moved and answered prayer. God, thank you. No doctor, no nurse, no treatment. We thank you as the great physician. In your holy name, in your awesome name, and all of God's people said. We're going to take a moment uh, to regroup. So children can be dismissed at this time to Matthias Minis. Why don't the rest of us stand and let's greet each other with a handshake or a hug or a high five and celebrate the things that God's doing in our midst. All right. You guys can grab a seat. those of you that haven't been around uh, at Christmas Eve, Todd and Lindsay stood up before all of us and shared uh, their story of struggle. And so here we are uh, three months later and God is blessed. Um, I want to say this. There's a lot of family members here tonight uh, that are here for the first time. If you're, if you're a family member of one of these families um, and tonight's your first time here, would you just raise your hand? We want to welcome you guys here tonight. Can we just welcome all these folks tonight? Great to have you guys here. It's a, it's a blessing to have you here as, as we experience family in this way. And I want to encourage you that, that this church um, is seeking to allow God to continue to reshape and reform this family towards Himself. And if you're just joining us, we've been journeying through the epistle of 1 John. And there's been something that, that my heart has been dealing with since last week, and, and we have to start there tonight. Last week we learned about assurance through John's writings. In other words, John wrote that you can know that you know God if you keep His commandments. Now it struck me last week that of all the things that we focused on last week, one thing we didn't focus on was the word His. We know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. You see, the Scripture, which we hold very high here in Matthias' lot, the Scripture is God's Word 
and is the standard for obedience. The problem is that American culture has lessened the standard of obedience and it's begun this lower bar ideology almost of what it means to obey. It's as if we've taken pieces of Scripture and then we've essentially written our own Scripture and then followed that. That is anti-gospel, anti-biblical, and listen, is not obedience. It's just a perceived way that we have comforted one another to say, oh yes, we're obeying, of course we are, because I look around at a bunch of individuals and I think I see obedience. Now listen, what you and I learn from one another is one thing and one thing only. By watching each other's lives, we learn about the grace of God. Now, I've known some amazing men in my life. My grandfather, for those of you that don't, uh, don't know the story, was just an absolute biblical Christian stud in my life. I mean, this guy had muscles in his eyelids I didn't even know existed. I mean, he, he was a stallion. But my grandpa, listen didn't teach me about obedience like Jesus does. My grandpa taught me the grace of God. How? He showed me that God's grace could fall on a man like my grandpa, that God's grace could allow my grandfather to be obedient, that God's grace could allow my grandfather to preach the Word of God to his family, that by God's grace, I could become a Christian because my grandfather preached the Word of God. Everything, the grace of God. Are you with me? So what needs to happen is we need to reclaim the phrasing, His commandments. It's the Bible that should be our standard of obedience and not an American culture. We need to remember that Jesus is the standard. And so tonight, guys, look, as we come and join together, we're not lessening the opportunity to look to one another's lives. What we're communicating is that we all represent grace and He represents holiness. And he said, be holy as I am holy. Are you guys with me? So as we journey through this, understand, we're not talking anymore about an American culturalized obedience. We're talking about the scriptures. And if some people say, if some people say that that's hardcore, then so be it. Amen? If some people say that following this is legalistic, they need to learn a little bit more about the scriptures. Because the message of Christ is freedom. Are you guys with me? So open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Tonight what's going to happen is John is going to funnel in on a, one of these commandments that he said that you'll know that you'll know if you obey it. And it's a blessing. It's a phenomenal commandment and one that we talked briefly on last night or uh, last week. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 7. says this. Beloved. Which, let's just pause. Uh, do you remember? He's got OMP, old man power. Any of you guys in here just want to confess you got some OMP? Any old man power in here? No one's willing to take it? Okay. Well, he, he's a grandpa. An old dude. 
writing to these churches in Asia Minor. And he starts out with this term of endearment, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. If you're like me, the first time I read that, I felt like I was on a roller coaster. You know, have you guys ever been on, on the Ninja at Six Flags where your head like gets tossed around and a little, you know, just joss, jostled? I've always wanted to say that word in a message. Just gets like chucked back and forth. Like, it, it's, there's so much stuff. In my study, this is what the verse looks like. Look at this. Uh, put, put this verse up for me. Utter chaos. All right? Now, for me, when I study, I circle and, you know, colorize like the same words and, and arrows. And when I looked at that verse for, first, this is what I did. I'm like, this verse is, I mean, this is chaos. You know, what, what does this verse mean? So take that down so we don't get confused. First of all, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Remember, he's writing to Asia Minor. And what he's saying is, I am writing... Yes, because Gnostics have infiltrated your land, and you remember that Gnostics have all kinds of thinking that is anti-Christ. One of them being that the flesh is evil, so Christ, when he was incarnated in the flesh, couldn't have been king, couldn't have been perfect. Very problematic. But what John says is, I'm writing something to you that you have heard from the beginning. Not from the beginning of time, but from the beginning of when you began to hear the gospel. Nothing has changed. Guys, here's what I love. This is, this is, listen to this. The Bible is not reactionary. John, though the Gnostics have infiltrated the land, he's not writing them because of that. He's not saying all of a sudden, oh no, The Gnostics are coming in. We better figure something out. Create some new commandments to battle it. The Bible is not reactionary. The Bible is God's Word, and it's His proactive way of teaching us His story. Too often, we take the Bible and think that it's God's response to our story. How pompous. The Bible is God's story and how we as feeble humans, humble beings, depraved, fit into that story. And what I love here is though being infiltrated by bad theology, teaching, Christology, what John is saying is, I'm not writing you anything new. You have heard this. You know this. And listen, listen, I picture him in a moment of angst with his pen or the scribe with his pen, whatever that looked like. I imagine him saying, just remember. Just remember how it was when you first heard it. Remember how it was when you first heard the gospel and it just ignited your soul. Stop listening to this bad teaching. The Bible is not reactionary. He does something similar when he writes probably to this same church in Ephesus in Revelation. When he talks about the church, he says that the church in Revelation had what? Forgotten the first love. 
Friends, how many of you right now, look, 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 look. How many of you right now just need to remember? You've been getting caught up in thinking self-help stuff that you think provides you some momentary glimpses of hope. What we need to do as a church is erase for a moment all self-help and simply remember Jesus. In fact, every time that we gather, it's about remembering Jesus. Loosing everything that we have momentarily grabbed a hold of and say, God, would you help us remember the gospel? Guys, do you see this grandpa writing this? He's like, just remember Don't forget, please, because if you forget, you will get confused. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Whoa, whoa, whoa. it's old, but it's new. John, pick one, you know? It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Put up John chapter 13. John wrote this, quoting Jesus, and I'm sure he had this in his mind when he imagined the new commandment. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So the commandment is old in the sense that it dates back to Leviticus and and Deuteronomy. It's old in the sense that these individuals have already heard it, but it's new in the power of the Incarnation. This is why the Incarnation is so important to John. It's new because Jesus becomes the example for this. And so when it's a new commandment, listen... The new age of Christ, the Messiah now has come, and what? Darkness is beginning to pass away, and the true light is already shining. The power of the incarnation, the power of the new commandment, is that we can look to Christ as our example, and Christ is our empowerment, making it possible to obey. Isn't that reason to celebrate, friends? And so as John writes this, he's like, it's old, but it's new, but it's all beautiful in Christ. All beautiful in Christ. Listen, listen, listen. Do you miss moments in your life, like we just had watching that video and seeing these kids up here, that you just miss the beauty of Jesus? Friends, the beauty of Christ is all over And that's what John is trying to communicate over and over. Look, I saw the beauty of Christ with my own eyes. I know the beauty of Christ because I touched it. I heard it. And so churches in Asia Minor remember Jesus. He goes on. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in what is still in darkness whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness obviously what's happening is the gnostics and others are going around and claiming all these things about knowledge that makes them more holy etc and they're claiming that they know god and last week john said look 
Look, you know that you know God if you follow His commandments. Now He gets more specific. If any of those individuals say that they're in the light, say that they know God, but they hate their brother, they're still in darkness. Uh, Next question. What's brother? What does that mean, right? Some of you are like, what if I don't have a brother and I have sisters? Am I good to go? You know? Smack them around as much as I want. No brothers. Biblical, you know, Bible doesn't say. Right? The brother here, in the context of 1 John, is clearly the body of Christ because he's writing to churches in Asia Minor. And so to say brother is to say the body of Christ. So some of you instantly are like, sweet! So this is, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I've been telling people all along, all I need to do is love my church and we're good to go. Right? I never have to leave here. I never have to go out. Look, look, look. The scripture here tonight deals with loving your brother. We could preach plenty of messages on loving the world. Okay? So don't lose that focus. Just understand that in this context, we're talking about loving one's brother. Next question. What is hatred? Strong word, isn't it? You guys remember the first time someone told you they hated you? I was a kid. <laughs> One of my friends, some of you are like, he was your friend? Yeah. Um, not after that, but I remember coming home, and we were on the playground, and uh, I was the leader of a gang in second grade, and I don't know if you... Um, <laughs> talk about that later. But um, we w- the gangs, what they would do is they would play kickball. And I was the leader of one kickball gang. You were also the pitcher. And the leader of, and I remember this one day when the leader of the other gang, you know, something happened, and he came up to me and said, I hate you. And, I, you know, I was just in second, second, third grade, whatever it was. And I remember going home to my mom. The, the power of those words coming off one's lips, I hate you. Have you ever heard that? Listen, some of you the spouses in here, have you ever shared that with one another in a moment of anger? you ever told one of your parents that in a heated moment when you had no control of your tongue? See, hatred is one of those things that no one likes to admit that they have in their life, right? Everyone right now, if I was like, hey, you got any hatred in there? Everyone would be like, I'm not a hater. You know, I don't hate. I don't hate on nobody, you know? I may not like everyone, right? But, but certainly I'm not a hater. Let me take you through the biblical understanding of what this word hate means so that we can get to a place where we can self-evaluate. Are you with me? In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, Scripture says this, that hatred stirs up strife. Hatred is constantly churning up things. It's constantly churning. Another place in Proverbs, brilliantly in chapter 26, verse 24, listen to this. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When I look at Scripture and I learn about hate, here's what I learn. That the product of hate, the visual of hate, is vengeance. What is vengeance? Vengeance is when you or I wish bad things to come upon someone even to the point of taking action. I'm not a murderer. I must not be taking vengeance, including gossip, 
including judgment. Vengeance is when you and I take judgment into our hands. Put that into action against another. The root of vengeance is hatred. Problem with that is that in Romans chapter 12, verses 19, Paul, the writer, is quoting God when God says, Vengeance is mine. It is mine to repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is God's role. So, many of you in your minds right now, so you're saying God's a hater? No. God is able to sit on the throne of, just, of judgment because God knows what being just is, my friends. You and I have no concept of justice in comparison to God. God sits on the right throne of judgment, the right throne of justice, and so when He takes vengeance, it's not attributed to hatred, it's attributed to holiness and righteousness in His right way. Now, ultimately, vengeance is a God complex. You guys remember the Garden of Eden? Satan, desiring to be like God, does what? Begins to deceive, take vengeance, and then is the fallen angel and spends the rest of his existence taking vengeance until what? Until God rightfully judges him, and he will. Amen? He will rightfully judge. So, summary. Hatred is when you or I take vengeance against someone else, action against someone else, to do someone else harm. Gossip. Judgment. Slant. Whatever it is. I ask again. Do you have any hate in you? Any people right now that it brings you joy to talk bad about because of the way it makes you feel inside? Any people right now that have wronged you and daily inside you desire bad things to come upon them and their family? Friends, is there any hate in you? It's pretty harsh, isn't it? What the scripture says is that those who hate their brother in the body of Christ, they are still in the darkness. The verse goes on. Verse, 11, uh, verse 10 says this. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Look, I've been blessed in my life with a tremendous amount of relationships. Love it. Uh, if, how many of you guys played sports in high school? Right? Yeah. There is something about playing sports that just, it's just awesome, isn't it? I mean, when, when I played football in high school, there is something about sitting in a locker room that smells so grotesque, you know? But then you love it, you know? It just smells like dirty everything. And you're like, man, this is awesome, you know? They ought to can this up and make a cologne. They did, you know? It's called Old Spice, you know? Now, <laughs> there, is, 
For those of you that wear that, repent. You're saved. Listen, listen. There's something about that. That camaraderie, right? Isn't it amazing? I, mean, I, I have friends in high school that I played football with, just instantly connected. Basketball, baseball, whatever it is. I have relationships in my life right now that are based upon where I live. You always have that. When I was a kid, I had next-door neighbors. We played together. I, I also have friends and relationships. Listen, I also have friends and relationships that are based upon worldview or the way that I think. We connect because we think the same. But there is no relationship. No relationship that even begins to compare to the relationships that I have that are with the body of Christ. I don't care how many championships you win and you fight with that guy next to you. There is nothing as special as the relationships in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you something. There is a deep-rooted reason for this. More than just, well, of course, we have Jesus as our commonality. Let me tell you something. This is beautiful. There's more than that. Can I share with you what it is? Do you remember when we were talking about the Holy Spirit and we were talking about the, the Pentecost? Do you remember what we said happened at the Pentecost in Acts? The Pentecost inaugurated the church because it unified people no longer based on bloodline, Jewish nation, but now based upon the fact that we are sealed with the same spirits. At Pentecost, the church is birthed universally. Let me tell you something. The reason why relationships are so strong in the body of Christ is yes, we have Jesus as our commonality, but way deeper than that, we are all sealed with the same Spirit. Have you ever thought about that before? It's that connection when you begin to talk with other believers and you instantly feel this union is because inside there is something happening that you and I cannot explain apart from the Word of God. So many of you are like, well, well, it's all well and good. But I've been in many communities, and even this one at times, that has struggled loving one another. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're not here as a church to celebrate our perfection. We're here as a church to say we need Jesus. We're here as a church to say this is why we're opening the Word of God and looking to Jesus to learn what it means to look like to live. Are you with me? That's why we've gathered. To remember Christ so that together we may learn how to love. This is the new command. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Stay with me here. Look at this. There's a tremendous connection between relationships that are solid in the body of Christ and light. The beginning of 1 John, we said that God is light. And you remember what our definition was? God being light means he's all true and all pure. If Scripture says that those who love their brother abide in the light... Remember what abide meant? We, we defined that last week. To remain in. That there's no cause for stumbling, Scripture says. What's the connection? 
The connection is, if all true, all pure, God is light, is in you, then that means that our relationships in the body of Christ are based upon honesty and integrity and vulnerability. Things that reveal our sinfulness and communicate our need for Christ. Listen, this is the power of us being together is not to come together and say, woo-hoo, we're doing it so well, but to come together and say, He is doing it so well. And we get the blessing of being here as a church, talking about His glory and claiming victory in the fact that He empowers us, allowing us to abide in the light. And then there's no cause for stumbling. Because every week and every time the body of Christ is together, what are we saying? It's not built on pride. It's built on, hey, I need Jesus. Anybody else here? Sounds good. Let's go for it. You see what I'm saying? Where is the stumbling in that? There's no pride. The pride is diminished as God continues to empower us. We kick that away. And we together as a church just keep gathering, celebrating Christ, reflecting Christ, and saying, anyone else need Jesus here? Me too. Let's go for it. That's the beauty of the body. When I was at McKendry, and I've talked with many of you about this, there was this connection, and Noah was there, a part of all this. There was this connection in those groups of individuals that I will never forget, because every week I remember people coming together and simply confessing daily, I'm in need of Jesus. I need to remember Christ. I'm sinful. I need Christ. Is that what you want, church? Is that the body of Christ you want to be a part of? Or should we just come all in and, and, and masquerade it? I'm great, perfect, things are going fine. We use the Christian F word, we throw it out all the time. What does it look like for a church to truly, really love one another? And look, this, this concept of love here, it's going to come up about 1,500 more times in First John. So we don't have time tonight to teach the whole concept of love. But just understand that whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling because everything is revealed. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has what? has blinded his eyes. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and what? And walks in the darkness. Here's what I fear. Here's what I fear. Is that there's some of you that are dabbling with walking in the darkness. You you want one foot in the dark and one foot in the light. I know that person wronged you and that heart of vengeance that's building causing you to to dabble and even potentially begin to walk in the darkness, now is the time to repent. Because let me tell you something. Walking in the darkness and being in the darkness is dangerous. We've all experienced that without Christ, haven't we? Let me tell you something. There is no fulfillment whatsoever about anything that has to do with the darkness. That's why Scripture says... The darkness blinds you and the individual doesn't know where they're going. Some of you tonight feel confused. 
You have no idea what your life looks like. You have no idea what your life should be about. You're just out there flailing around like flipper or something. Let me communicate something with you. That's what the darkness, the antichrist peace does to you. It thrusts you into confusion so that you don't know where you're going. The beauty of the light is that it reveals all truth. Causes you to walk empowered by Him into all love and all grace. I want to encourage you guys tonight. It's one thing to talk about loving your brother. Painting a picture of the church. What it could be if we really all gathered here. Left vengeance aside and grabbed hands and said, we need Jesus, let's go for it. And it's a whole other thing to get confused. And so I want to remind every single one of us tonight that the new command that Jesus shared is you love as I have loved. Later in 1 John, we're going to learn that we can only love because He first loved. Look, what I have for you tonight, church, is this. We need to remember the love of God tonight. If we have any hope of loving each other, of releasing our vengeance on our hatred, we must together remember the love of God. The beautiful love of God that has grabbed your heart, that wretched heart of stone, and breathed life into it. Church, tonight we need to remember your first moment when you experienced the love of God. What it felt like, what it tasted like. The scripture that you were reading, the scripture that you were hearing. Church, remember the love of God. The psalmist says this in Psalm 59, look at this. Oh my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. Is anyone with me tonight? Though It's reason to celebrate that God is by definition love. Anybody else? And the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that that God is put in you. Somehow, by the gospel of grace, making our heart born into hatred a heart that can love. So church, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take some time to worship, to move around this room, and just to feast on the love of God. Anyone else ready to feast? To feast on it. And to remember Christ and to say, oh God, thank you. Maybe for some of you that's going in the back corner and getting on your face or coming up here on the altar and just saying, Oh God, thank you. We are going to have a time of worship where we ask God's love just to drop that we may know it, that we may love our brother. I end tonight with 2 Thessalonians 3 before we worship. Paul was praying this and listen to what he said. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Let's feast, friends.